0: this um bible study um interestingly i didn't plan to use wednesdays for this actually but i feel led to expound on what some of the things i i'm not able to expand on sunday so i am like using wednesdays to do like a spillover of it okay and um the topic is quite expansive quite large so i'm trusting god that um We'll cover the best we can within the period we have in this month, except the Lord leads us to continue into the following months. Hallelujah. All right, so um, we're going to begin in by look at, looking at the book of Revelation, chapter 12, Revelation 12, verse 10. Revelation 12. Verse 10. This is one of those places in scriptures that you know people are finding very difficult to understand. Now I'm gonna get give, give you the context of the of this vision, but I'm gonna go straight into verse 10 when it says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come for the accuser of the brethren, so for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Do you have the New Living Translation? New Living Translation NLT. Do you have it? All right, It says. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. I'm bringing this because of certain things I want like you to see there. The King James says, "Now," sorry, um, "then." Rather, uh, "then." I, you know, in English, I'm going to use the word "then." Then suggests that something happened previously, and where we are right now is actually the result. So it says, and then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, it has come at last. Salvation and power and the King of our God and the authority of his Christ for, because, because the English word for means because, because the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. Powerful. The first time I, I, I had my reference story on this place, this place, my my mind went straight to um, Job where he had um, an unpleasant experience where he became sick, lost his children lost everything around him uh, because somebody appeared and made a case against him and there was something he said in his book that, oh, if he had somebody to, to meditate or mediate on his behalf now if you look at the context of this place in chapter 12, you realize that um What's before this place, what you realize is the fulfillment of the prophecy concerning Jesus there at the cross. The cross did so many things, and one of the things the cross did was to destroy every form of access that the enemy has before any one of us, before our God. Hallelujah. So some people think today that the enemy still goes into heaven to accuse us and say, God, you're a blessing because it's because he has all the money around him that you're supplying him. Like this, the case of Job, but well, it doesn't happen anymore. He doesn't have that, that access into the heavens. He doesn't have that um, conversation access before our God. And one of the reasons why he had that conversation access was because he had something to, to um, use against us. There was something he had to use against us. And that was something Jesus took out of the way there at the cross. So let's look at Colossians two, Colossians two. Colossians two, we'll take it from verse, um, verse, from verse 13, Colossians two verse 13. So we'll come back to Revelation after this one. So, Colossians 2, 13 says, And you, being dead, this is your past place, you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you some of your trespasses. I knew that was wrong. (laughs) He forgave all your trespasses, right? Look at this. Having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, that was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Now, give me the amplifier on on this one. This particular verse. uh, Verse 14. Amplified. So, you see the clear picture here. Now, having canceled out, blotted out, and wiped away the handwriting of the notes, the bond which is legal, decrees and demands which was enforced and stood against us that was hostile to us because this is what the, what the enemy used against us the standard that we were supposed to meet up. Now since man could not meet the standard, he used a standard against man. Hallelujah. So now Jesus now canceled out, blotted out, wiped away the handwriting, the notes which is legal, decrees and demands so that this note which is regulations and decrees and demands he set aside cleared completely out of our way by nailing it to the cross in other words there is no more any standard that should speak against you so the angle of accusation was from the law hallelujah let me show you somewhere in the book of John John five forty five. Let me tell you what Jesus told them. A very interesting remark he made. I think the first time I read, I read this, I was I was I had to clean my eyes twice. <laughs> like what? What did he say here? John five verse four. Sorry, John five forty five, not verse four. John five forty five. John 5 45 it says, Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you already, Moses, in whom you trust. When he says Moses, he was not referring to the person of Moses, he was referring to the regulation, the body of Moses. The body of Moses is the law. Hallelujah. So the law with legal requirements, legal decrees. Was a standard man was supposed to meet for God to bless. But the devil knew that man's flesh would weaken him and make him fall short of God's perfection. Now, use the same law that was supposed to bring man to blessing, use that same law to argue against him, accuse him before God. So, Jesus' death cancelled out that root that he had to speak before God against any man. Hallelujah. So, what you see in Revelation was the fulfillment of the cross. Where the enemy was cast down. Now interestingly, one of the words used for the devil is the word diabolos. And diabolos is two Greek words put together. Diabolos talks about the first yeah, it has to do with, with to penetrate. To penetrate. Then bolos has to do with to stone against to throw against you. So what the enemy always tries to do is that he tries to penetrate into your life by throwing things into you, into your, into you, into your thoughts, into your imagination, your thinking, and most of the things he throws against you. One of those things he uses actually, basically, it's actually what accusations. He tries to use guilt, guilt, through his accusation tactics. He brings you into guilt, and now guilt itself is something that is a very subtle very subtle. Um, virus. It enters into an individual's life like undetected, but then begins to grow gradually and begins to seize parts of your system, parts of your uh, um, your working system, parts of your reasoning. It begins to seize your, your entire being in a gradual form. It's just like when you're walking by the road and you perceive a foul order, a stench. You know, you suddenly recall, like, what's this? But if you then begin to realize that you have to pass through that route to get to where you are going to, you you, you realize that as you are walking through that particular stench, you begin to kind of adjust to, you know, what you are perceiving until you exit that particular uh, environment. That's how the devil tries to walk in people's life through guilt. When he begins to accuse them of setting standards that seem godly, that seem good, you know, one of the things about he, he, the, the enemy is that why it's tricky is that he doesn't come all out to you and try to pull you away. He tries to use the good things around you to pull you down. For example, Adam and Eve were in the garden. When he spoke to them, he reasoned for them to realize that there's nothing so wrong with you eating from this tree. It's, I mean, you're hungry. You, I mean, you, you're a human. You, you should desire good things. Why not just have a taste from this? He tries to reason something good. And then tells himself, for God knows that the day you eat of this, you shall become like him. When in reality, man was created like God. So they were deceived into doing something by using a good, a good frame for their mind. I will become like God. They didn't want to become like the enemy. They wanted to become like God. Which is not like a bad aspiration on its own. But it was... An aspiration that was quite unnecessary because they were already created in the image and likeness of God. Hallelujah. So the enemy comes through deception. And at the end of the day, when he gets people to do certain things in their lives, he he brings them back to a place where he can stand and accuse them. Now the interesting thing is this. If you don't understand the finished work, you will give room for the enemy to always accuse you in your heart. He has no room to accuse you before God. Now he knows that, but he knows that there's a way he can, he can throw accusation against you. Not before God, but before your heart. Hallelujah. So, it comes from the angle of, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't do this, you don't, you're not good enough. Um, you don't stand perfect, you don't stand committed. He tries to use your shortcomings and imperfections to sing a song in your heart. And it's a nasty song. So you don't, you don't, you don't, to the point where he wants you to own that accusation where you're not to say, you, know, you don't got becomes you don't, to not become I don't. He wants you to personalize the shortcomings, your imperfections. That, at that point, he leaves that seed in you to grow, to germinate, to become, you know, a, a dangerous um, harvest. That's how people slide into, into depression. They don't just walk and feel depressed. They actually cultivate depression over the course of time from the things that they hear, thoughts that they fester, thoughts that they are allowed to grow. It's just like when you consider a bushland, when you don't sow good seeds there and cultivate the land, you give room for weeds to grow. And over the course of time, weeds take over a particular um, um, estate. And so a lot of people, they are, they are like, when you look at the land that is not properly cultured and taken care of, weeds begin to grow. Wits of wrong thoughts, wits of guilt, wits of um, shame, wits of condemnation begins to grow inside the mind. And because they don't take, take, take time to cultivate and to take care of the garden of their heart, those things begin to grow over the course of time until it gets to a place where those things take over that you cannot see anything good around you. You know, I'm, I'm sure some, some of you would have seen certain places where you go into the, the premises and you're like, <laughs> there's so much bush everywhere. For example, Abuja Stadium. It's a perfect example. Normally, in many places, stadiums are, you know, taken care of. In fact, if you have watched, if you are very good with Premier League, very well, you realize that the moment they finish a the match, <laughs> as they finish a the match, they're already watching the, 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 the soil or the, the field they use. They're taking care of it just as they finish a the match. And so people, as people are going home, those guys, the caretakers are there working on the place. They are already making the place useful for another place, another event just after. Or like Nigeria. They made the match finish and they locked the door. They have locked everything. Maybe in the next four years, when Nigeria is playing qualifier against uh, Rwanda, then they remember that we have one stadium somewhere. Ah, let's use Abuja Stadium. Ah, we have one and we don't use one. They're not going to open the key. By the time they open the, the, the stadium, grass everywhere. In fact, somebody once said that Abuja Stadium became like forest like lions were, were, were enjoying um, <laughs> some level of comfort there why? because we don't have maintenance culture, that's one of the things I'm trying to teach you this series, that people must learn to have a good maintenance culture with their hearts and their minds or else you give room for the enemy to sow seeds and one of the seeds I'm treating with today is guilt guilt, and it's always coming through the anger of, of um, accusation hallelujah now, also, realize that guilt is an easy tool for an enemy to manipulate your life. Manipulation is easy through guilt. He's able to manipulate your actions, your good works, anything around you, based on guilt. You, you, you know, he can actually guilt trip you into serving God. Those are the kind of things we call good works that have no life in it. He can guilt trip you to anything. You can be guilt trip into loving people. That means love does not have roots in your spirit and your heart. But you are doing those things because something is driving, telling you that you have not done something. So therefore, you are not good enough. And so you are trying to prove to people that you are good enough. That's why you are loving them. So that kind of love is not centered on, on life. Guilt is passed down through us, also through broken down standards. And that's why I give you an example of what happened when Jesus died on the cross. He took the, the law itself with his entire um, 613 requirements, doctrines, and necessities there at the cross so that when God is looking at you, God is not judging you with standards you have to keep. Hello? God is looking at you, and he's not looking at you from the angle of how well you have measured to his standard. No. He's looking at you right now and seeing how well you are qualified in the son hallelujah there are lots of Christians who are struggling today trying to measure up for God not knowing that God is no longer setting standard for you to measure up to why? Christ became your life Christ lived up to his standard and since Christ did so you are now pronounced in Christ hallelujah Christ became your standard Christ met the standard for God Christ became your standard. In Christ, you have met the standard. Hallelujah! Look at Hebrews ten, verse twenty-two. Hebrews ten and verse twenty-two. You give me the New King James and also the NLT. So he says here, "Let us draw near with what a true heart." in full assurance of what? of faith in full assurance of faith let us draw near to God With full assurance of faith full assurance of faith means that your heart is settled on the reality it is settled on the fact that God has spoken to you and you've heard him and what did God speak to you? he tells you you are qualified in me you are qualified in the son I have nothing against you if God is actually mad he's not mad at you, he's mad about you Hallelujah. So when God looks at you, there has to be an assurance in your heart that you will realize how he's looking at you. You don't, you don't see God looking at you as an angry person. You see God looking at you with his smiles on his face. Pleasure in his heart. Hallelujah. So you draw near. You can only draw near. if there's an assurance of faith in your heart. It is no assurance of faith. You don't draw near. If you're afraid of somebody, you don't draw, draw near to the person. You give the person distance. Hallelujah. So you draw near with assurance of faith, having what? Our hearts sprinkled. For what? An evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Hallelujah. Now, give me the NLT. It says that let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. Do you know why the author says this thing? I want to like you to go to verse 1. Let me show you what happened in verse 1. Of the same Hebrews. It says, The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again and again and again, year after year, but they were not able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. Why? Verse 2. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, that's sacrificial system, the sacrifices would have what? Stopped. For the worshippers would have been what? Purified. Once for all time. And their feelings of guilt would have what? Disappeared. So you realize that each time people are making offerings to God and the guilt is coming back, they are, what they are actually trying to do is they are trying to replay an old covenant worship system. For It was, it was impossible for the blood of goods and goats to purify their conscience. Look at verse, verse um, 3. But he uh, said those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. As they were bringing those sacrifices before God, it was a reminder that they were not qualified. It was a reminder that they were, they were below God's standard. It was a reminder that God still saw them imperfect. It was a reminder of their sins. Ladies and gentlemen, this was the issue Job had. The Bible tells us that Job was always offering sacrifices to God each time his sons and daughters had feasts. So he said, let me offer this one in case they have caused God in their heart while they were enjoying themselves. And so he was making those offerings and as he was doing those offerings, he was not also purified in his conscience. He was still thinking that, ah, he was feeling guilt for his children. He was feeling guilt that they were having fun. He was feeling guilt that they were exercising their right to feast. Job lived with a conscience driven with guilt. The Jews under the Old Covenant lived with their conscience driven with guilt. And so many people today are living with their conscience driven with guilt. Guilt that could span from things they've done in the past that they're not proud of. It could even be the fact that they try to measure to sound You know, as some of us who are perfectionists in our, in our drive in, in, in life we would like to cross all our T's and dot all our I's. Everything must be on point. Sometimes, that's one of the issues we have. We, 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 we can easily sink into a place where we feel guilt that we didn't even measure up. Maybe, for example, you had set things to do today ended up the only, only 8 out of, out of 10 and suddenly begin to feel this like I didn't do enough today. I didn't really put my best, you know. And from there, it begins to slide into I didn't do it to so I am not performing well. I am not doing well. I am not capable. I am not competent enough. And the moment you begin to, you begin to own a certain form of deficiency and imperfection, it creeps into you and begins to become part of your system. You now become, become rewired to see yourself that way. One thing that guilt does is that it rewires your system. Hallelujah. Very dangerous. It re- rewires you. Now, let me say this. Your body was designed by God in such a way that the same things it cannot carry. One of the things your body cannot carry, your system cannot carry, is guilt. That's why guilt tears, tears people down. It destroys people. Sometimes, to the point that people are having some um, sicknesses some of them could be psychosomatic related and it's boiling down to guilt that they are carrying I can't tell you about, tell you about so many Christians who are guilt driven why? because of how they feel they are not prayerful enough or they are not reading the word enough even those who read the word suddenly begin to feel this guilt around them that they have not studied like brother B who does 10 hours a day and I'm just managing around one hour so he tries to use something around you to speak against you. Just like a Mary and Martha, one of them felt comfortable to enjoy Jesus' presence and receive from him while the other felt the need to walk for Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm a minister. I don't walk for Jesus. I walk with him. There's a difference. <laughs> Hallelujah. I walk with him says, come, let us walk, walk together. <laughs> and he's the one pulling, you know, is the ox that's pulling the heavy weight. We are, we, are, we, are, we are yoked together, but he's the one pulling the heavy He said, my body is light. Come unto me, all you that are labor and heavy, heavy laden. Many people are heavy laden with, with loads of requirements, things to do for God. Some people, ministry has become an excess baggage for them. I mean, I mean, I see people here and there quitting ministry. Why? Because it has become a burden for them. Some of them quit ministry because because the burden trying to build a, one a ministry. Some becomes it becomes a burden because the ministry itself the demands and requirements are requirements so much on their shoulders they feel they can't carry it and then they drop aside. If you are walking with God, if you are walking with God, you won't carry any heavy load. He will be the one carrying the load. Hallelujah, Amen. That's other that people that see. Walking with God is full of joy. If you are walking with working with God or walking for God, in that course, and you are feeling so much pressure and so much load on you, you've yet to discover the place of rest. You've yet to discover the place of unforced redeems of grace. Hallelujah. In the book of Luke 23, um, towards when Jesus was going to the cross, you know, he was bundled by the chief priests and the elders, and they were accusing him, accusing him. You know, when I was reading that today, I shared something on Facebook concerning that. They kept accusing Jesus, and one thing I realized was that he didn't say anything. Do you know why he didn't say anything? Because he was unmoved by by the accusation. Hallelujah! What manner of composure, calm Jesus had when everybody around him, the chief priests and the elders were throwing accusation against him, and he remained calm and resolute. Hallelujah. You know, let me just show you one. Luke 23, verse 4. Now, Pilate turned to the, the, the chief priests and to the crowd and said, I find nothing wrong with this man. Give me a new King James. So So that I find no fault in this man you know I was thinking around this the Lord showed my eyes to see something here when Pilate made his declaration I find no fault in him and then I saw myself in Christ hallelujah before the chief priests will offer the sacrifice they have to look at the sacrifice that the, 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 the sheep is f- spotless without wrinkle without blame so, Pilate inspected Jesus and found no fault in him. I said, I find no fault in him. And then I'm going to hear the Lord tell me, he said, this is how I see my people. I find no fault in them. Hallelujah. I find no fault in them. Jesus was declared innocent because of you. He was declared as one without guilt so that you will understand that as he is, so are you. There's no guilt in you. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. The enemy will always try to come and to relieve some experiences in your mind. We all have experiences growing up. And all of us have tasted failure in one way or the other. Failure at things we try to do personally, career, relationship-wise. We made mistakes. So the enemy will try to come to bring those things back to you, so you to relieve those moments. Why? He wants to bring to you your recognition that you are deficient in one area. But do you know one thing? This is why grace is is wonderful. Your insufficiency makes you a candidate of grace. But with the wrong focus, with the enemy at, at your side, Diabolos will keep penetrating into your life Keep throwing things to you. Throw back at you, your insufficiency. Throw back at you, those experiences you made, those poor choices you made in your relationships. He keeps bringing it back to you. Why? Because he doesn't want you to recreate your future. He wants you to relieve your past because he wants your past to always remain at your present reality. One of the difficult things you need to understand about guilt is that guilt comes to, into your mind, to rewire your mind, so that it can actually make your reality reflection of your sad reflection. So your perspective in life becomes biased by relieving negative experiences. This things become very tricky because it becomes gets to the point whereby you, there are certain ways you act. It not, it not becomes like natural to you. Why? Because those things have stayed long inside of you. They are, they are embedded in your, your, your mindset and the way you reason. And those things come because of a, a continual re- reaction of those experiences. He keeps bringing those things back. He wants you to release moments, re- release moments especially where you knew at a certain point it was your mistake that uh, brought you to a certain place in life. No matter the mistakes you made in life, there's always a place where God can always lift you from your mistakes. There's always a place. Don't dwell in your mistakes. Don't stay there. Don't give the enemy room to replay, to penetrate into your life by replaying your past because he wants you to remain trapped in your past. Some people look at new opportunities and can't embrace it. Why? The past reminds them of who they were. And sometimes people embrace new opportunities with past mindsets and still find it difficult to make good use of new opportunities. I I remember my for sharing about my my sister-in-law uh, who got married, uh, she, she used to stay with us um, for quite some years, some time. And, you know, because of how our water system is in my, in my house, especially when we don't have much water around, and if you notice that the, the rain starts to fall, there's something we normally do. We go downstairs with all the, all the bath. So let us collect this one out. God give to us free. <laughs> you know? So we carry bath, you know, big buckets, go down, line it up, As the rain is falling, give us free water. So, yes, our sister in law got married, got into a house where you have running tap, running water. First time, rain started to fall in the house, she started going downstairs with buckets. <laughs> Before she now realized, wait, That's there's water running in my house, <laughs> she went back upstairs. When I had that experience, it just reminded me how many people live life every day. They enter a new day with yesterday's mentality. You cannot make the best of a day of today with yesterday's mentality. You cannot make the best of a new year with last year's mentality. That's why the the, the Jews could not enter the promised land. They kept reminding themselves of how they were living life in Egypt. And so for 40 years, they were wandering in the the wilderness. Not because Canaan was far. It was a 40-day walk. But because they were reminding themselves where they came from. They were not reminding themselves of, of where they needed to be. And that's what the enemy does. He, ke- he keeps penetrating into your hearts to remind you of your past failures, to remind you of your shortcomings. Hallelujah. Amen. You must continually renew your mind. This is part of the renew your mind. Part of renewing your mind is resetting it to God's will. Look at this. Romans 12 verse 2 says what? Do you not know what? Be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what the renew of your mind so that what it will prove what is that good, what is that perfect and acceptable will of God. Now I'm I'm heard people a lot of people preach that to mean that there are different level, levels of of God's will. No. It is describe God's will in three forms good, acceptable, and perfect. If your mind is renewed to God's truth and God's word, it becomes to, get to a stage where it aligns with God's good and perfect will for your life. Hallelujah. It, it aligns to it. So, renewing your mind brings your mind to a stage where it begins to align with God's way of thinking concerning you. And that way, of God's thinking concerning you is good, acceptable, and what? And perfect. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So this is how God we see things. Now this is how you see things because your mind is renewed to see. Look at it again. You have a re- look at matters. Why? Because your mind is renewed. So when your past is replayed to you, if your mind is renewed, you now look at your past with a renewed mind. Now you will see the past according to God's will. Hallelujah. You will see the past according to God's thoughts. You will see the past according to God's ways of, of reasoning. His concepts concerning the past. How does God see your past? Your past issues as being sprinkled with the blood. Hallelujah. Your past is under the blood. Cleansed by the blood. Hallelujah. Another area, the devil uses accusations of guilt against you. He wants you to take responsibility for other people's emotions. Sometimes there are people who feel not the best of themselves because somebody in their life is not feeling happy. So in the life is see inside. Let me just tell you you are responsible for your own happiness. You are responsible for your own joyfulness, not that for another person. It is not my responsibility to be responsible for my wife's emotions. It is not our job to be responsible for my emotions. We have to choose to be happy. We have to choose to be joyful. It's a choice. It's a choice we have to make. Don't let another person's poor attitudes rob you of joy. Don't give room for that. Joy and peace. These are products of realizing the presence of God's kingdom within you. That's why the Bible tells us, it says, righteousness is what? Peace. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. There's, a, there's an overflow of the of the, the working of God's kingdom around your life when you actually have a recognition of it and that overflow is, is manifested as peace around you joy around you so you're not manifesting joy and peace because everything is right within you it is only because of a recognition of the kingdom within you hallelujah so you are not perfect in God's eyes because you are perfect in conduct. No. You are perfect in God's eye because Jesus was declared innocent and you are sharing the same verdict as Jesus. As he is. You have been declared as he is. Hallelujah. That's the reason why we don't allow guilt stay in us. Why? Our past is past. Our present is his present. Hallelujah. Our future is his future. In him, there's no guilt, there's no shame. And I am, I am fully consistent in him as he is, that there's no joy, there's no, there's no guilt, there's no, there's no shame in him. Hallelujah. Adam and Eve tasted of the fruits, and the Bible said they, they saw themselves and became ashamed of themselves. You know, and that's one of the things that, that's an upshoot of guilt, shame. Now, when he when says that they now saw themselves and became ashamed of their nakedness, This is one where I see that people become ashamed of their own very selves when they see them through their true selves, not because of the fact that they've committed sin, but because they are feeding from the wrong tree. When you feed from the tree of life, you don't become ashamed. You become clothed in glory. But when you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is the picture of the Lord, you see your shame and your nakedness. Hallelujah amen and, and, and another area the devil tries to work things in people's heart and mind is manipulation through other people's walking in your life it's called guilt trip kind of related to the other one some people are not happy and they want you to share in our unhappiness how can, I be un, how can I be unhappy and you are there happy so we will try to disorganize you we we'll try to put you in a state where if I am not happy you will not be happy hallelujah. It's selfishness. Some people come into a home because they're not happy based on things that, that didn't turn out, turn out right, right for them on the, on the, in the office, in the business. They try to bring that unhappiness into the home. I want everyone in that house to, to participate in their unhappiness. It's very wrong. It's very wrong. Because you know one thing you may not realize is that the impact of what you are doing in the people around there, your children, your wife, they, you, you don't know the extent to which that thing you are bringing to them might stay in them sometimes some things people do stay in people for generations a man can actually bring an attitude into the home that a child may carry for 10 years 20 years of his life so we need to be very concerned about people around us but not let them their guilt trip us to be manipulated to the point that if they're not happy they too, you two should not, not be happy no your own unhappiness is your own personal decision. Don't make it a corporate responsibility. Don't make it a collective you know, thing. Like if I'm not happy, nobody must be happy. Hallelujah. Yeah. Amen. In fact, the truth is this. If you love your home, before you get to the house, you try to bring on an attitude where you will shield yourself, shield them from what you're carrying. But of course, that doesn't mean you just begin to hide the pains because pains that are hidden don't die like that. They remain to the time when they begin to come out. What you can begin to do is that you always deal with negative thoughts, with positive thoughts. What is the best way to deal with negative thoughts is to replace it with a positive thought. You cannot remove a negative thought by prayer. Say this negative thoughts, I bind you in the name of Jesus. No. You cannot say this negative thought. I fast to remove you. No, you replace negative thoughts by choosing to stay on positive thoughts. You cannot see. You cannot think positive and remain sad at the same time. So when you, whenever you catch yourself feeling feeling down and out, feeling that you are not good enough. For God to, to bless, good enough for God to walk around your life, to do things in your life. Begin to remember how God truly sees you. Begin to remember how God sees really sees you. Don't see yourself how your, your matter sees you, or your business sees you, or your, your city sees you, or your economy sees you, your society sees you. Don't let the society or our environment give you color. Let God's opinion, which is God's will, give you color. That's why when you renew your mind, you come to a place where you begin to prove by the way you reason and think, what is that good and acceptable and the perfect will of God concerning your life. Give me Amplified. Let me show you something there. It says, do not be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after and adapted. Look at the word as there. Guilt is a form of adaptation. You have to adapt to a suggestion. Adapt to a way of seeing things. Yes, but be transformed, changed by the entire re- renewal of your mind, by his, look at his, his new ideals and his new attitudes, so that you may prove for yourselves, because that's just for your benefit. What is that? What is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God? Even the thing which is good, even the thing which is acceptable, even the thing which is perfect in His sight for you. So when you renew your mind, you reset your mind to see things the way God seen, seen things for you. So renew your mind is for your own benefits, but also has blessings for the people around you. A renewed mind has a way of manifesting God's blessings around. It shares joy. It knows how to deal with those issues. So when the devil brings your past against you, you remind me of who you are right now. Hallelujah. You remind me of where you are right now. You remind you of standing on good ground. Hallelujah. And this is where the, um, spiritual battle finds its um, scope. You stand. You stand. You remain standing. Raising the sheet of faith against those fairy darts that are trying to penetrate into your life. Hallelujah. Amen. Don't let the devil, the enemy, stand against you to accuse you and tell you that before God you are nothing. Let him know that before God, God sees you the way he sees Christ. You are complete in Christ who is the head of our principality and power. You are complete in his fullness. You are complete in his justification. You are complete in his in His light. You are complete, complete in his peace. Hallelujah. Let's give him praise. Hallelujah. Let's celebrate Jesus who has qualified us, who has made us to be as he is. Perfect in him. Perfect in his righteousness. Perfect